church longer than I have your whole life. Uh, and some of you guys, you've been coming to church for a few months now. But fellowship with the Lord is a big theme in our lives. Um, thank you, Josiah. Um, and what we're going to be looking at today is a good, basically a, a bad fellowship and how to restore it. Um, and I just want you to know, if you guys find yourself in this place where you're saved, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you don't feel like you're with the Lord, you're on the same page with the Lord, um, today is the day that that can change. Um, today is the day through the preaching of His Word, um, through the reading of His Word, God can get a hold of you if you just let Him. I know there's a lot of um, different kinds of people in here, but... Uh, you're all relatively the same age, and I know what your group is dealing with on a daily basis in terms of distraction. And I just want to ask that all those distractions be put away and just we attend on God's Word, okay? Um, so what we're going to be talking about today, my computer is freaking out, okay. Uh, today's message we're going to start with is going to be about a battle. And it's going to start with that battle, but it's going to end actually in peace. And um, what we're going to see is that the Lord actually wants to deal with um, the, the problems in our lives. But first, we have to look for the problems that are within. Uh, and we'll see, we'll see that. Um, can we pray real quick? My computer's doing weird things. Uh, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have to sit and be um, here as a, as a group of believers, um, attending on your word. God, there's no other place I'd rather be right now on a, on a Sunday morning, a Tuesday night. Heck, if we move this to a Friday night, there's no other place I'd rather be than right here with, these, with this group of people. God, I thank you for your son and what he did for us on the cross. And God, I just pray that you would bless this time. Set me aside. I'm a man of stumbling lips, but um, you can work. Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I want us, what I want us to look at is, as we go through Joshua chapter 7 and a little part of Joshua chapter 8, um, what we want to see is that God is working in Israel, but we need some context before we do that. So Joshua chapter 6, I'll just mention this, this isn't really on the slides. Um, Joshua chapter 6 is all about the battle of Jericho. Do you guys know that story? They, walk, they march around the city seven times. That cheesy song, Joshua put the battle of Jericho, Jericho. So he starts, you know that song? <laughs> Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. No, no, no. <laughs> That's why I cut my voice off. I, huh? Oh, I just wanted you to sing it. I'm not familiar with it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, we've never heard it. I sing that song in high school and choir, actually. And I did a terrible job. Someone told me I did a terrible job. And I haven't really sang that song since. Um, we would tell you you did. <laughs> we love you. We also love to laugh at you when you sing songs. <laughs> no, but, but you guys know that song. You guys know that story. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, them and the children of Israel, him and the children of Israel, right? They march around the city seven times, and they shout, and they blow trumpets, and the walls fall down. It's this really great story. What I want to look at real quick is not the battle itself, but the command that God gives. I forgot to put this in your slides, but Joshua chapter 6, uh, verse 18, God gives a commandment to the children of Israel while they're in Jericho. And it says, And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed. When, we t- when you take the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it, verse 19 says, But all the silver and gold and... Oh, man. 
Hold on. This is... All right, let's look at it here. Uh, Joshua chapter 6, verse 19. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So God says, hey, you guys take the city, and you guys need to burn every single thing that's in there. Don't take anything that's accursed. Which, we don't have time to look at that word accursed, but basically that word accursed can be translated and looked at as, as something that's like a doomed object. Um, this is important because Jericho is, like most things, it's a picture of the world. And, and God is saying, hey, all of Jericho needs to be wiped out. Not a man, a woman, a child, not an object should live, except the vessels that God calls. And he says, those vessels, you bring those to me. And those will be consecrated to the Lord. Um, he says, but don't take any of the accursed thing. And what did we learn from any time in the Bible is that when God says something, one person always screws it up for everyone else. There's always like a group of people and they're like doing really good. And one person's like, no, I'm going to do the exact opposite of what God said. And um, we see that here. We're going to be talking about Achan. Um, and we see that, that Achan does exactly what he's not supposed to. Um, and we have a whole chapter devoted to it. Hold on. We're going to go bye-bye with that. There we go. That makes things a lot easier. All right. Phone time it is. All right. So, so God tells Israel not to take anything that was previously used by inhabitants of Jericho, and everyone doesn't do it. So we look in Joshua chapter 7 and verse 1. So Joshua chapter 6 ends with this wonderful victory of Jericho, and then Joshua chapter 7 verse 1 says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. Here it is. And the anger, anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. So we start to see a change in tone immediately. God calls out Achan, and he calls out Israel as a whole. Um, so now we have this, this perp's name, right? Achan, the son of blah, 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 the son of blah, blah, blah. Uh, God calls them out, but as we see, the anger of the Lord was kindled against all of Israel. Um, I would argue that's because uh, Israel was charged with the whole law. We don't have time to look into it, but Moses charges the children of Israel as they're walking through the wilderness several times. Hey, do the whole law. Everything that you've heard and seen, teach your children. And then do the law. Do every single thing. It's Deuteronomy chapter 4, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Uh, like I said, we don't have time to go into it, but I do, I do have time for this. Joshua chapter 1, verses 16 through 18 should be on there. Perfect. So this is Joshua, and they're getting ready to go in the promised land. Moses has died, and God is installing Joshua as leader. And Joshua's like, hey, remember everything that Moses taught you? Um, do that. Do everything that Moses said, because that's the law. And here in Joshua chapter 1, we actually see that they agree to do everything. Um, Joshua chapter 1 verse 16 says, And they answered Joshua, saying, All that the Lord commanded us we will do, and whithersoever thou sendest us we will go. Verse 17, According as we hearken unto Moses in all things, so will we hearken unto thee. Only in the Lord thy God be with thee, as he was with Moses. Here's the wild part. Verse 18. Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandment and will not hearken unto thy words and all that thou commandest him to do, he shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. This isn't Joshua. This isn't the Lord speaking. This is the, this is the children of Israel. This is wild. This escalates really quickly. Joshua doesn't ask them to make this oath. 
God doesn't ask them to make this oath. It would be like if, if I don't know, Wyatt and Jeff had an agreement, and Jeff is like, hey, can you do this thing for me? And Wyatt's like, yeah, and if I don't do this, you get to throw me in jail. You'd be like, Wyatt, why would you do that? That's silly. Jeff never asked you to do that. They're trying to figure out which Wyatt I'm talking about. Yes, I'm talking about both of you. <laughs> My point is, is like, this is this is this seems really wild, but as we as we will come to see, God actually takes this oath very seriously. God takes what these the children of Israel said, and he he, he puts it in his back pocket, and it's going to be a reminder later. So the children of Israel set the standard and they set the punishment. Um, this is the covenant that they made, and what we see is that after they go to this battle of Jericho, there's this parenthetical moment in Joshua chapter 7 verse 1 which is a commentary about what Achan did and then we go to Joshua chapter 7 verse 2 and now they're moving on. They've gone from Jericho to Ai which is another town not too far away. Uh, let's read it. Joshua 7 2. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai which is beside Beth Haven on the east side of Bethel and spake unto them saying go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, let not, all, let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. So there went up thither of the people about three thousand men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men, for they chased them from before the gate, even unto Shebarim. Probably said that wrong. And smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So God lets Israel fight this fight in their own power. Joshua's like, hey, we've done all this work. We've worked really hard. We've worked, we walked through all the way through Jericho, and we're at Ai. And they're actually a small people. So don't even send the whole army. Send about two or 3,000. And Joshua himself doesn't even go. And God just lets them do this, this battle on their own. And you know what? It's disastrous. This, this small little city puts to flight 3,000 of God's Warriors, I guess that's the right word. God's, God's people who are fighting, who are, who are told ahead of time, hey, any land that you go to, it's yours. If you go with me and you go in my name, it's all yours. And they go to Ai and Joshua says, just send a small group and just take care of them and then we'll keep going on like nothing ever happened. And, and actually what happens is these guys work Joshua's people over. Only 36 die. Um, only. Anytime someone dies, it's it's a, kind of a tragedy. But 36 out of 3,000 actually isn't a ton. It's a small number. I'm not a math magician, but it's, it's a small little number there. Um, and what I want us to see is that's actually God's grace in this. Um, there's sin in the camp. They're, they're going. They're not hearkening unto the voice of the Lord. They're not even asking the Lord, should we go fight this battle? Joshua just in his own flesh says, hey, go fight this battle. And what we see is that defeat. But even in defeat, and this is our first key observation today, is, is even in chastisement, God is gracious to us. God is chastising Israel for Achan's sin. And what we see is he's not, even, he's not even punishing Israel fully. Technically, all of Israel's 3,000 people probably should have died. But God, in His grace, makes sure that they get the message with only 36 people dying. Um, I think that's just a testimony to who God is. 
This verse is used a lot when it comes to chastisement, but I think it's a really important verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 6 says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. God chastens those who he loves. That's what the Bible just told us. Uh, and so that when they mess up, so that they will repent and they'll turn back to him. This loss gets Joshua's attention as necessary for the purging of Achan's sin, right? I don't know if you guys have ever been chastened by the Lord, but I have. And there's, there's believers in here that know that something happened in their life and it was like, yep, that was God. That was God telling me to chill out. And, and it's not a question of if you get chastened by the Lord, but when, if you're saved. If you're a child of God, the Bible says you will be chastened at some point in time because nobody bats a thousand in this, in this life other than Jesus Christ. Um, and you will be chastened, but how you respond, how we respond to the Lord when He chastens us is what matters. That's absolutely what matters. So let's look at Joshua's response. Joshua chapter 7, verse 6. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. He and the elders of Israel, and he put dust, they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. O Lord, What shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants in the land shall hear of it, and shall envire us round, and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? So Joshua takes this loss personally. And nobody has to, in the end, tell Joshua this is chastening. He knows it immediately. And then he says, God, (laughs) why would you you take us over Jordan just just to lose this? But I want to notice the characteristics of this passage. Uh, there should be a list, Dylan, in the next one. It says, He rents his clothes, uh, which is a picture of deep sorrow. In Israel, in ancient Israel, it, there's a couple times in the Bible where people rent their clothes. It's usually a picture of some sort of deep uh, sorrow or blasphemy against the Lord. Like Paul, and we, I don't have this up there, but Paul in Acts chapter 17, I believe, they, they think he's a god. Maybe it's 14. They call him a god, like a Roman god, and he immediately rents his clothes. It's blasphemy to him that he is being called a god, likened unto the god of Israel. And so immediately he's in deep sorrow and he just, he just shreds his clothes. And that's, that's common. And this is exactly what he does right here. He says, he, he's immediately just like, I'm sorrowful basically, by this moment. But he also puts his face to the dirt, which to me is a sign of humility. I don't know if you've ever been in this place of deep sorrow before the Lord, but you can't even sit straight. You're just looking to your face to the ground because you know you don't deserve to even look at God. Number three, he lays in front of the ark, which is the best part he could do right here because the ark is the actual presence of God in the Old Testament. Now, believer, in in the New Testament, the presence of God in you, in a believer, is inside you. Because God says He puts His Spirit in us. So, so, So God's Spirit is in us. But in the Old Testament, it was not. It was in the ark. And the first thing He does is He goes straight to Jesus Christ. 
man, will we all go straight to Jesus Christ in times of deep sorrow. He remains there until the evening. It says the evening tide. This isn't some whim. This isn't some emotional decision he makes. He's there. I don't know how many hours he's there, but I don't know about you guys, but I don't pray for like six, seven hours in a row. I don't weep before the Lord six, seven hours in a row. I wish I did. I wish I had that much in me. But Joshua and all the elders of Israel, they do. I just want to make a note on that too. Hearing from God, it takes time. It's not just one prayer that will always do it. It's not a one-hitter. You pray and then God's like, oh yeah, I'm happy to answer your prayer. Sometimes, in moments like this, it takes hours and hours of praying and just weeping before the Lord. Like you got a friend that's not saved. you got a family member that's not saved. you got some big issue that you're dealing with. Take time with the Lord. Take honest time with the Lord to work through these things. Notice also that the elders of Israel joined Joshua in this morning. It's not just him. And then they put dust on their heads. That's the last part. And that's another sign of humility. It's a sign of, of weeping and mourning. It's, it's Job does that right after his family dies. Joshua earnestly seeks God and his counsel on this issue, and they take this public law seriously. And this reminds me of James chapter 4, verse 10. It should be up on the screen. It says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. I don't know where you guys are at today. Some of you guys might be fighting a battle similar to this internally, and you just don't say it. I know people all the time who are, who are struggling inwardly, and they just act like everything's fine outwardly. I work with people like that, and they're miserable, by the way. And some of them are actually believers in Jesus Christ. Like, I know some of them, and they're saved. They love Jesus, and they just don't want to humble themselves before God. But the Bible says that if you just humble yourself before Him, He shall lift you up. And that's exactly what God does here to them. But I want to consider Joshua's question. Uh, Verse... Sorry, I lost it. Verse 7. Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought us this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? So he's like, hey God, uh, why would you bring us over Jordan to fail? What was the purpose in that? He said, we would have been fine on the other side. And I just want you to know that's not a correct response. I understand Joshua's question. I understand why he felt that way. He's probably confused. Why would you bring this brigade over just to lose? And I have no problem with people asking questions of God. We should ask questions of God all the time. But it's the heart behind the question that matters the most. Notice he said, we would have been content on the other side of Jordan. We, we don't have time to go into it, but Numbers 32, the children of Israel stop on this side of Jordan. Not on the side that they're told to cross over and go. Because they say, hey, this ground that we're in right now is good. It's good for our cattle. And what we realize if you read Numbers 32 and you study it out is they're actually settling prior to realizing the promises of God. So they're saved. They're out of Egypt. But they're not settling in the place where God has promised them. And this is what Joshua is saying. Hey, hey, it's okay. Um, God, we would have been fine over there. Everything would have been fine. But what he's really saying is this. It's better to fall short on God's promises than to fall dead serving Him. That's what Joshua is saying here. 
I'd rather fall short on your promises, Lord, than just to fall dead serving you. But in God's grace and His mercy, He doesn't even deal with Joshua's question at all. We can see God's response. Look at verse 10, Joshua chapter 7. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel has sinned and has also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and disassembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except you destroy the accursed from among you. Up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Lord, or, sorry, in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, ye shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof. And the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households. And the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man. And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. Wow, that escalated quickly. God's like, hey, you sinned, and someone in this camp sinned, and I'm about to call them out, and you guys are going to burn them. And you're like, wow, that's crazy. But remember, they made this oath. God didn't require this of them. They make this oath in Joshua chapter 1. Hey, we'll do all the law. And not only will we do all the law, but if anyone doesn't do it, they shall be put to death. That's what Joshua chapter 1. That's what they said with their own mouth. I would tell you to be careful what oath you make before the Lord. Because He takes our words very seriously. And we should, in wise, take His words very seriously too. But he says the accursed thing has to be taken out in order for us to continue. Now, um, I, I, want, I want to make something clear. In the New Testament dispensation of grace, that's the, that's the age we're currently living in. We cannot have our relationship with God severed like Israel did. So this, this thing where he says, I'll leave you if you don't repent from your sin, doesn't apply to you in the same way. Like I said earlier, you're... you're, you're um, Secured, the, the, the Spirit of God dwells in you and it will always be in you. You can never lose your salvation. You can never lose your relationship with God. But you can severely fray it. Romans 8, uh, 35-39 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's it. This verse is mentioned all the time, yet we forget. And I don't know about you, but like, I'm one of the first people who think God's not going to love me if I don't do this right. And that's the wrong heart attitude to have. Did you guys hear that? In the New, Test- New Testament dispensation of grace, you guys can't lose the love of God. That's amazing. Some of you guys should be jumping out of your seats because you just realized that for the first time. Isaac? 
Isaac's the first one. He's like, yeah. That, if you don't take anything else away today, take that away. God loves you so much, he gave his son for you. He butchered his son on the cross. His son was buried, and then he rose again on the third day, just for you, so that he could always have a relationship with you. There's literally nothing better than that, guys. Okay, so you can't have your relationship severed. Once you're a child of God, you're always a child of God. But in this time, we can't have our fellowship with God frayed by the sin in our lives. That's an extremely important point, too. 1 John chapter 1, verses 6-7 through 7 says this, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay, so here's how I'll explain this. You'll always have a relationship with God. But how your relationship with the Lord is, how quality it is, is impacted by your sin. Okay, so, so Lauren and I are married, right? If you guys didn't know that, Lauren and I are married. We have a baby, to prove it. Um, and Lauren and I will always be married, unless death of the rapture happens. Okay? But if I didn't talk to Lauren, if I was mad at Lauren every single day, yeah, we're married, but what's our relationship like? Is it good? No, the answer is no, guys. The answer is no. Our relationship isn't good. If I don't work on our relationship between Lauren and I, she can, she can try all day. And she's a great wife. I, I'm very thankful to have her. She can try all day long. But if I'm not putting in any effort, the relationship is going to be frayed. Be weird. Why would you marry someone and never talk to them? But that happens all the time with God. That happens all the time. People get saved. They say, God, I want salvation, I want that ticket to heaven, and then sin enters. And sometimes people are on fire for the Lord when they start out. They're really good. They love Jesus Christ. And then something happens. A boy or a girl comes into that person's life. A job comes into that person's life. There's something. There's this one thing that I, I, I have to have. It's the accursed thing, and I have to have it more than God and His promises. So yeah, you're saved. If you've been saved once, you're always saved. But you sure will fray that relationship. So key point number two, restore fellowship with God by repenting from sin and turning to Him. Let me do this again. Key point number two, (laughs) restore fellowship with God by repenting from sin and turning to Him. Is it not working? There it is. Yeah, there we go. This is what I want to talk about today. We did all that heavy lifting for this part. But here it is. This is what God was getting to. Was that we need to restore fellowship, actual relationship with Him. And there's some of you in in here today who are probably in this boat. Where you're saved. You have your ticket to heaven. But you're not fellowshipping with God. There's some darkness that you won't let go. And it's just... It's just hindering everything that you have with the Lord. So my question is, what is the accursed thing in your life? If you have an accursed thing, what is it? What is damaging your fellowship with God? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's power. Maybe you're finding identity in something that's sinful. That was the power one, by the way. Uh, 
maybe you're finding that looks like a terrible book called Crisis of Identity. Sounds terrible. Um, maybe you're looking for the praises of others. I don't know. I don't know what it is. There's a there's a lot of people in this room. There's a lot of different personalities, and there's a lot of different possibilities. If it wasn't, here's what I want to here's what I want to make known. If it wasn't Aiken, it would have been someone else in Jericho. It would have been some other thing. We'll talk about what he actually took here in a minute. But if it wasn't Aiken, Satan would have gotten a hold of somebody. And it might not have been the silver that Aiken took. It may have been, I don't know, I don't know. But it could have been something. Notice also in this verse at the end that it says that, that, that um, Aiken has wrought folly in all of Israel. Achan's sin affects more than just him. I want to make that clear. Achan's sin affects more than just him. God puts it on all of Israel. So our next key observation is this. Your sin affects the people around you. I don't know if you knew that or not. But those things which you do at night when you think no one's looking, those, those things that you do when you're talking about people behind their back, those things that you do when you're just cussing people out at school. I know some of you do. (laughs) I know some of you do. Whatever it is that you think that no one knows about, one, God knows about it. But two, it affects every single person around you, whether you want to believe it or not. Just like Achan's sin did. Sin affects our holiness, not positionally. Okay, You're seated in heavenly places. Okay? You're holy before the Lord because Jesus Christ bled out and died for you. And you accepted that. That's why you're holy before the Lord, positionally. But practically, oh man, sin can tear your holiness up every single day. And the more unrepentant we are, the farther we walk away from God and His Word, the more it affects those around us. I've seen this in this church. People who were on fire for Jesus Christ. They have families, they have friends here, and they walk away because the sin that they had, they said, oh, it's just me. It doesn't affect anyone else. And it surely affected every single person when they walked out that door. Okay, let's move on. Let's look at how Joshua handles this. Joshua chapter 7, verse 16 uh, through 22. It says, So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes. And the tribe of Judah was taken, and he brought the family of Judah, and he took the family of the Zarhites, and we'll go on, the Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken, and he brought his household man by man, and he took Achan, the son of Carmi, and the son of Zabdi, and the son of Zerah, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And here it is. Achan's singled out. Verse 19. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel. And make confession unto him. And tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold, of fifty shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. 
So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran unto the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. I just want to note in verse 20, when he says, and thus and thus have I done, some of you guys stop right there. Like, yeah, I've sinned, you know, I've done some things. And like, that's it. You don't actually go on to detail your sin. I was thinking about you guys when I read that verse. I was like, some of you guys would be like, oh yeah, I did this and I did that. And then you, then you just leave it at that. Um, but he, he details his sin. Hey, yeah, Joshua, I'm sorry. And this is what I did. I stole a Babylonian garment, 200 shekels. We see that. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, money was involved, yeah. But that Babylonianish garment um, was probably used for some sort of devil or idol worship. This wasn't just a, a shirt he took from Hot Topic or whatever. Like this was, this was actually... Do people still go to Hot Topic nowadays? No. That's how old I am. Do you go to Hot Topic? No. Mitch, Mitch gets his goth on at Hot Topic. No, Yes, it is. Aiden no. goes to Hot Topic. No. Aiden, you go to Hot Topic? I do not go to Hot Topic on a daily basis. It was a one time. Thank you. <laughs> so you did. Okay, so. <laughs> there probably are Babylonian garments at Hot Topic of some sort. I'm, but, but what I want to note is that you can read over this verse and you can say, oh, he took a shirt and some stuff. It's not worth his life. Well, God's not actually saying that he just took a shirt. Achan's not actually admitting he just took a shirt. These, these garments were probably actively used in devil worship. And these silver and this gold was probably supposed to go to, the, to God, right? He said he would consecrate the silver and the gold. So he probably <laughs> stole things that were made for devil worship, and, and then he probably took things directly from God. But I want to look at what he says. He says, I saw them, and I coveted them, and I took them. This is the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I won't go into those verses. We've, we've heard those a lot. It's First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. But you guys know, this is just like the garden. Eve saw the fruit. It looked good. She thought it was good for her. So she took it. He did the exact same thing. He was walking by. He wasn't doing anything wrong. In fact, he was in the right place. Oftentimes we talk about people being in the wrong place. No, he was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. But along the way, something came up and it was just a little too good. He saw it and he coveted it. That's the key here. He coveted it. And he took it. <clears throat> what I want to notice too is that Joshua, back in verse 16, he makes a very important decision. He rises up early in the morning and he does this thing. So first thing in the morning, Joshua rises up. He gets up and he says, we're taking care of this today. I'm finding out who did this. I'm finding out the sin. And we're going to burn this guy. Um, and what I want to note, it's not up here, but Joshua doesn't delay obedience. And that's because delayed obedience is disobedience. It's the exact same thing. So if you're here today and you feel like this is you, rise up as soon as you can. Get up and do something about it. Don't just sit there in your apathy. We have to do something about this. Psalm 119 verse 60 says this, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. I made haste. I don't know if you guys have ever made haste. Like, who here runs for like a school? 
Oh, you, I mean, you can, you can add that too. Yeah. <laughs> if you make haste, if you go really fast, do you guys explode off the line? No. You guys like go on the line? No. <laughs> but if you're in a race, you're gonna try and go as fast as possible, right? As your pace allows. <laughs> this is this is how we walk, work through this at home. I work through ideas, and she goes, "Yeah, that sounds good." Um, but that's what he does here. Joshua doesn't stop. He doesn't do anything else. He sprints directly to the thing that God wants him to do. And that's what we should do. So what I want to see here is Joshua... Well, actually... Yeah, Joshua here, as he's about to slay Achan, pictures Jesus Christ slaying and burning our sin to a crisp. Um, The only difference is today that we need to give Jesus permission to do so. So how do we do that today in our current dispensation? You don't go stone people. Someone offends you, you don't just go out and take them out back and stone them. Wide Otto was really bummed by that. I don't know why. That worries me. Um, so how do we do that? Well, it starts with the self. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. So set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication and uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and then here it is, and covetousness, which is what? Idolatry. Idolatry. Oops. (laughs) Crap. (laughs) I'm an idolizer. I mean, that's what it says. It doesn't say it's close to idolatry. It doesn't say it's almost idolatry. It says covetousness, which is idolatry. From being honest, more of us are there than we think. Verse 6. Colossians chapter 3, verse 6. For which things, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these things, Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge of after the image of him that created him. So it can it can get stoned. We we won't go over that, but basically they they stone him and they burn everything. They burn his family. They burn his possessions. They burn all of it. It's gruesome. It's, it's probably not a sight that Israel wanted to behold. It's one of their own. But what I, like, like I said, it, it's a picture of us letting Jesus Christ slay our sin. And it's extremely important that we do. And so the steps in Colossians chapter 3 is how we do that. So the first thing that you do is you set your mind on Christ. That's what that word affection means. You set your mind on Christ. Two is you know that you're in Christ. No sin will take you out of Christ. But that you're found in Him. If you know that you're found in Christ, it should change your mindset on every single thing you do. And every word that you say. And every move that you make. Three, mortify your members. That's, that word mortify, similar to mortician, would be like, mortify would mean like to kill. So don't actually hurt yourself, please. That's not, that's not good. 
But those members, those members are listed in, in verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. We read that list. Fornication. That's not just a physical act. But that surely is that heart act that's, that some of you guys commit with fornication. That lusting over people that aren't married to you. The uncleanness, the inordinate affection, the evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. Those are the members that we have to mortify. Basically, put off the old man. Stop living the way you used to live before you were saved. You, you had that bit. You did that. You crossed over Jordan. You're a new person. You got saved, and then you crossed into the promises of God. Hopefully. So put off the old man. And then you put on the new man, which means that you're renewed in the knowledge of him, of God. You know how you get renewed in the knowledge of God? You pick up your Bible, and you go sit down somewhere, and you pray that God would open your eyes, and you just start reading it. Because you're renewed in knowledge. That's what 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says as well. I don't have it on the screen, but it's the exact same thing. You're renewed in the knowledge of him that created him. Okay, key point number three. Let Christ kill the fleshly desires you hold on to. Let Christ kill the fleshly desires you hold on to. Notice I didn't say sins. Those Those are bad. But those desires that we have. I'm saying we, not just you. We all have fleshly desires. I don't think any of those will go away until you're with the Lord in glory. But every day... Get up and decide that you're going to let Christ slay that aching in your life, that accursed thing in your life. I promise if you do, you won't regret it. Okay, we're almost done. Joshua chapter 8. We're going to skip the battle of AI because that's a lot of battle. But go down to verse 30. What I want to notice here is, is that Joshua slays slays Achan and everything that he owns, all of his substance, and he burns it all to a crisp. And he buries it with stones, actually, which is great. A picture of burying sin. But then he actually does the thing that the Lord has called him to. It's not just enough to get rid of the sin, but he actually fights the battle that he's supposed to fight, and they win. They, they just demolished AI. They killed the king. It's a... It's a Long story, but we'll just skip down to verse 30 because here's what I want to notice. Joshua worships again. Joshua chapter 8, verse 30, it says, Then Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses. I'll read that again. As it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man hath lift up any iron, and they offered thereon burnt offerings unto the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And he wrote there upon the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. And all Israel and all their elders and officers and their judges stood on this side the ark. And on that side before the priests, the Levites, which bared the ark of the covenant of the Lord, as well the stranger, as he that was born among them, half of them over against Mount... Gerizim, uh, and half of them over against Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, <coughs> the blessings and the cur- and cursings, according to all that was written in the book of the law. 
There was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel, with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were conversant among them. So Joshua builds an altar and literally everyone's there. People who aren't even a part of Israel are like, hey, I'm coming in and I'm just going to listen to this reading of the law. Okay, that's cool. That's really cool. If you don't notice, not only are they back to good with God, because again, it's different in the Old Testament dispensation. They needed that to be good with God. They needed Achan to die and all of his substance to be burned in order to be good with God. But it's not just enough to be good with God. He actually worships. He restores the worship of God and fellowship with God. The children of Israel offer burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. That's sacrifice and praise. And then lastly, they hear all of the law. God's word actually has free course in their life. It's not just a book. They write the law on the stones so that nobody will forget it. So key point number four, it's pretty simple. Worship God. That's it. Worship God. If you're looking for something more profound, I'm sorry, I don't have it for you. But what I do have is this. Everyone here has this opportunity tonight. Saved, unsaved. Tonight. It's 9 a.m., whatever. Today, this morning, you have that opportunity to do exactly what they did. And if you don't know what that looks like, that's okay. There's often times where I don't know what God's saying exactly to me and I have to go to, to Jeff or to, to one of my other counselors, someone in my life that I love dearly, and I just say, hey, what's going on? This is what I'm seeing in the Word, but I don't know how to respond to it. If we don't have the answer, we can pray with you. But don't sit there in your seat Continuing in sin. Don't sit there with accursed things in your life, in your heart, and, and not have fellowship with God. Because the only person you're hurting at the, at the current moment is you. But in the long run, you will be hurting all of us. Everyone here is affected by your walk with God. If you're on fire with, for God, the people around you are more likely to be on fire for God. But if you're not, and you're letting sin continue and reign in your life man it's just going to hurt you and everyone around you for years to come alright so let's pray and if you have anything to deal with let's deal with it okay Um, God thank you for your word God thank you for um, this opportunity that we have to just be obedient to not delay in obedience God I know that as we sit here and we There might be stuff in our minds that we're worried about or we don't know the answer to. That's okay. If you set it on our heart, Lord, we'd just be obedient to speak it, to pray over it, to talk to a counselor about it. God, would you let your word have free course in this youth ministry? Would you let your word have free course in the counselors? Um, And above all else, would you be worshipped? And Lord, would you be glorified in this place? Uh, Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Bob. Yeah. Uh, let's conclude this way. We've got about 10 minutes until we got to get out of here. <clears throat> but here's what I heard. You tell me this is the same as you. What I heard was sin is bad. 